Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. This morning, we have a subject of life, and we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States. Welcome you all. So glad you could join us. Start with our morning prayer. I'm reading from page 61 of Divinity Course in General Collectania. Be like a little child. Turn your thoughts to love and say, Oh, love, just take me in. Give me one mind, one consciousness, and make me love my neighbor as myself. Let your heart cry out to divine love. A child cries out to its mother for more light, more truth, more love. Ask love for what you need and for what love has to give. Then take it and demand of yourself to rise up and live it. God will direct you in all your ways if you trust him. Faith must take hold before sight or fruition. And this faith will, when instructed in divine science, become understanding, and you will have no doubt, but every proof of his promise, lo, I am with you always. Trust him, dear. Read daily the Bible and science and health, and pray the prayer of our Lord in your own words. Ask for his kingdom to come, for love, truth, and life to govern all your desires, aims, and motives, to feed you with faith and a clear knowledge of good, to make you patient, forgiving, long-suffering, and merciful, compassionate, even as the dear God is thus to you, and you desire him to be, and thus reflect the God good in all his qualities. My desire is that this year shall be crowned with mercies for you and all. Mary Baker Eddy. It's beautiful. Thank you, Florence. I can pray with that every day. All right, Karen, the watching point. Watch number 392. <clears throat> Watch that you rise to meet the claim of advancing age with alertness and activity. You will be amazed and delighted by the revitalizing effects of this confident attitude. Your step will have the spring of youth in it, and the dread of old age will slink away out of sight. Another thing to guard against is mental and physical inertia, particularly the former, when your interests begin to narrow down to what principally concerns yourself. Look out. This is one of the first signs of old age. By living on a diet of self, you will slowly but surely deteriorate into a dried-up, uninteresting character, neglected and really unworthy of anything but charitable notice. Disinclination <clears throat> to go out among people 
finally produces physical disability to do so. Hmm. Limbs stiffen, and your body refuses to do your will without the suffering you dislike to impose upon it. All routine tends to produce atrophy of mental activity, and again has habit robbed you of your youthfulness. Instead of dreading changes and fighting off the opportunities for making them, Welcome them eagerly as you would a glass of water to quench your thirst. They are youth preservers for you. But don't make the mistake of holding fast to that youth which belonged to your 20s. The charm and poise of your assimilated experiences have far greater value as an asset for your attractiveness than anything of the distant past. You are fitted to meet the world from any source, whatever, if you have lived and lived deeply. So take that. <laughs> great. You did a great job. It's a much longer watching point, and you all should either re read it or listen to it. It also mentions having a good sense of humor is important. It's a divine gift. Cultivating the love for people. And um, also, I, I love where, and I guess this is Carpenter who wrote this, um, and faculties and functions are directed and sustained by mind. They can no more wear out or become impaired than it can a mirror wear out by being used. <laughs> Such a degree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like being as old as God, right? Never gets old. <laughs> right. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. That is what Reg Carey, when anyone would ask Reg Carey his age, he would say, I'm as old as God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so I'm going to frame this one for sure. <laughs> I thought this was a kick in the pants. <laughs> really need to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting too that that phrase where he says living on, or yeah, he says living on a diet of self mm -hmm. that really uh, resonated and certainly ties in with what Mrs. Eddie says about getting rid of the self just in yeah. general. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is the worst kind of hell. And if you've ever been out and you hear, you know, maybe at a, at a restaurant or something, a group of people just talking about themselves, right? All their aches and pains yeah. and, <laughs> and as we call it an organ recital. God, God said that we, we, we go that route. So no, thank you. No. I've been, um, as I've been making these recordings, boy, from the very beginning, um, I have, and now I'm using a program that I, that was so totally, so technologically like how am I going to be able to do this I am not that kind of person well it's been beautiful how much I have learned and how much I've grown by by just doing this exercise and I just I'm enjoying it more and learning more and every time something came, comes up like the other day I was trying to figure out how to do something and I can't figure it out this is too difficult and so I finally just said Hey, my first source is God will show me, and He did, and it's just it's wonderful how it's expanding my thinking. It's it's you know, that's just one example. 
No, it's a great. It's true. The more you do, the more you can do. The less you can do, the more you say I can't do it, and you rely on other people to do it. The less you'll be able to do. Yeah. So keep active. It's very important. Our, atti- our attitude makes all the difference. Yeah. That's yeah right. I think to be conscious of <clears throat> being all that God is is also helpful. If all He has is ours, then we reflect everything that he has, intelligence, wisdom, and all that. So, Shepherd, show me, and he does. Thank you. Yes, he does. I remember a long time ago, Elsie said, if God knows, I know. Yeah, that was a wonderful. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> I use that all the time. Uh, I know. It was very <laughs> helpful. Elsie. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, God telling Jeremiah, you know, don't, don't say you're you know, I guess you were a child. But don't, yeah. don't, don't, you know, don't say you can't do it. There's no reason why not. Believe me, I did not want to use computers. God forced me to do it, and here I am. <laughs> so, I would have been happy to stay a welder. So. <laughs> Wasn't it in last week's roundtable, or made the one before, I can because I am? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. That one really, that one really hit me, and I. You've been there's been several things that have come to me that I've, I keep claiming that I can't do something, or that I can't hear something, or I can't understand something, and that phrase really helped me go to work on that error. I can, because I am. Thank you. Those are the little foxes that spoil the vine. They creep in. You can't. I really. That's really true. Yes. Yeah, and uh, there's a statement in the Bible, uh, something about um, my expectation is from the Lord. Mm-hmm. If I am constantly expecting God to show me what he wants me to do, say, think, whatever, I'll never, I'll never let those little foxes come in because there's nothing that God can't do and there's nothing that he can't give us when he wants us to do something. It's this impossible. Is really true. Go ahead, Sari. Yeah, this is really true. I, every time I face a challenge here and I take the wonderful morsels that my practitioner gives me as my spiritual nourishment because many things (laughs) I would think, oh, come on, this is just, this can't be. But spiritually, I know where God leads me, uh, then God is with me, you know? And I keep thinking about, for some reason, the whole time I'm here, I keep thinking about Jonah and the whale and Jonah being belched out on dry land and nobody judged Jonah. They just, that was just how it was. So today I was working a lot in a drawing on forgiveness and gratitude and just saying, I'm, you know, God walks these streets. God is with these people and there is only God reflected here and we share in the enjoyment of that. So that's where I am today. Thank you. Yeah, Elsie said recently something about how 
She was grateful that God shares his days with me. And I, I thought that was a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Yeah. God is sharing his day with you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I, I was I was bemused. I was reading yet another Harvard report, you know, 80 years of studying what is really makes a person happy. Now they've really nailed it this time. <laughs> really, this time they've got it. 80 years and how many billions of dollars. So, so now that now they say what really, really is the key to happiness is to have a meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, Gary said a meaningful relationship with God. Well, yes, that's another, that's one that they spent years and years and years discovering <laughs> gratitude makes you happy. And, <laughs> And a meaningful relationship. Well, what is that? To love your brother as yourself, right? Yes. It's lo- loving your neighbor. Loving, loving, loving is, yeah, hey, that makes you happy. Well, my gosh, 80 years of research and they've come <laughs> upon that. And another one, and I, I've given testimonies of this because, oh, the real reason you're happy. This is absolutely the reason is you can forgive. You have a forgiving nature. So... All this study, all they had to do is read the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sinai. Yes. Yes. Come on, people. That's not, I mean, it, it just shows, shows something greatly lacking. Spend all that time and money to research this. So, so thank God that we have this truth and that we accept it. We don't deny it or poo-poo it. This is the truth. The Sermon on the Mount, yeah, and as Craig said, the Thunder of Sinai, these are the things that make us happy. And also, another thing that went with this, uh, longevity, a happy and long life. So Mm -hmm. we'll obey those precepts of our master and of Mrs. Eddy and study her works. And, And then I was reminded, this watching point, some time ago I wrote an article called, um, Time is not toxic. And, you know, we got the Herbert Eustace Foundation, um, very gratefully so. And they gave us many boxes of his, um, most of which was just replica of what we already had. But there were a few things that were was very interesting. And like I said, I've, I've given this in testimonies, but it said, um, I, I came across a very interesting article in an old copy of the New York Herald Tribune paper that's no, no longer around from the year 1948. A group of medical specialists and surgeons had been researching the process of aging. They came to the conclusion that anyone experiencing a lack of vigor or any other disorder due to age was suffering from what they termed as, quote, time neurosis. The report stated that, quote, every human tissue is endowed with potential immortality, end quote. And there was really no reason for anyone to get old and decrepit. Anyone who was experiencing such such symptoms had submitted to the prevalent superstition, again in quotes, that time in some way poisons the system, and causes one to grow old. Now, holy crow. Now, why isn't that trumpeted from the rooftops? Mainly because people make so much money off of all of this stuff. 
probably. And they keep talking about it. They do. And expecting it. Just And if you don't, you won't have it. And um, this watching point quotes a lot of what is in the article we have labeled called Age, attributed to Mrs. Eddy. Um, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the watching point quotes the very, very good to be well familiar with this. So here they're calling it a superstition, a time neurosis, and that your body is basically immortal. Wow. And it is. So I thought that was wonderful. It's just this little article. And I don't know where that original article is. Hopefully it's in the church somewhere. But I'm sure people can look it up from a 1948 New York Herald Tribune. (laughs) Anyway, um, so all of this is proof and more proof. And again, these people research, but we don't need to research. We just need to read our Bible and science and health. Mm. They also say, and the doctors say this, and Mrs. Evans used to tell us this, that they tell you every, what, seven years, all your cells replace themselves. Mm -hmm. It's all new stuff. So we have no excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Got to stay young and active and interesting and loving and, and why not? The best way to go. Well, one of the things that I would like to share that I found here is that a lot of the the Jesuit priests are also giving people psychoanalysts and um, and one has to really protect one's thought because one could talk to a person before uh, earlier and when they have spoken to such a person it's like they're an entirely different person they say entirely different things and so I have just been uh, really working on claiming the identity of God's ideas and um, knowing that no one can be mesmerized and that I am protected because I'm loving what God wants me to do and not that I'm afraid. Thank you. Yes. Yes. How to do it out of love. Yeah. In that that watching point, Carpenter um, says age is it sometimes it helps to call it witchcraft. And now Uh one of the things we've learned, a definition of witchcraft is domination, intimidation and manipulation. And again, people telling you who and what you are rather than getting it from God, from Christ Jesus, Uh from our Bible and science and health. So we don't have to fall under those false beliefs, but you must be proactive. I call it proactive. You don't wait till you can't get out of a chair because you've accepted all these beliefs. You be proactive with it. And, and we were taught here very early on to know often daily, I am ageless, diseaseless, and deathless because God made me so. And was brought out you can be old at age 20 if you're all that description in the watching point selfish never laugh unforgiving <laughs> unforgiving yep all those things that's what makes you old mm-hmm. and of course that example in science and health of that woman who lost her lover when she was in her 20s and uh, later on, years later, she was in her 80s and somebody came to see her. And she looked as though the same as she did when she was in her 20s. Cause she never 
she never, she, she didn't go out into the world, but her thought was still where her lover seemingly left her. Mm-hmm. So it was all her thought that kept her in that youth. She just never aged. She just never, um, that's in science and health. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a lover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah don't make the mistake of holding fast to that youth, which belonged to your 20s. <laughs> well, that's true, too. I love that. And then a life deeply lived. Yeah. Over and over, Mrs. Eddy says that we should only be getting better. And we should be. It's an accumulation of of wisdom and God's love. And, you know, I feel I know so much more now than I did. In your 20s? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also have more to give. Yeah, absolutely. I think unfoldment. Yeah, thank God for unfoldment. So, so this is very important point of this lesson on life. And again, that quote from the Red Book that I love, that instead of being bound for the grave, we must know we are on the eternal road of life that has no sense of death. Eternal road of life. I mean, just, you know, follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> and it's a happy, joyous thing. <laughs> No moroseness. All right, now, let's see. Some of you sent some things to me, which I'm grateful for. Thank you. Oh, and before we go any farther, um, Dale A. in Virginia sent us a very interesting article. Um, Gary, you didn't return the article to me, so you have to speak <laughs> speak on it. <laughs> Thanks, Victor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, it was an article about the Nobel Prize for Physics last year was given to three quantum physicists. Mm. And it was uh, for, and the, and the title of the article was something like, Matter is Not Locally Real. And it, it, it sounds a little strange. You know, it wasn't perfectly clear what locally meant. But in reading it, Apparently, quantum physicists have been struggling with the idea that certain you know pieces of matter don't respond as they predicted to forces that we are aware of around them. In other words, there are forces that we can't see or measure that actually influence particles of matter. So this discovery was actually made in the 1940s by a physicist, and it challenged, obviously, the uh, status quo thinking of uh, the physics profession at the time, because at the time, all physicists, or at least physics teaching taught that, you know, matter responds to forces that we can see or measure. And this guy in the 1940s said, I have discovered that there's a, there's another force that we can't measure that is influencing matter. <laughs> and, uh, and that theory was kind of poo-pooed for 60 years by the physics profession. And then finally, in the last few years, three physicists proved 
to the rest of the physics profession that it's actually true. Uh, th there are forces that we can't see or measure that influence matter. And as a Christian scientist, all of this is perfectly reasonable and not surprising that the, the people who are trying to understand matter, you know, quantum physicists, are finding that uh, m matter doesn't matter as much as they thought it did. <laughs> that, it, that it doesn't have quite the influence that they thought it did. Which, which is to say, they are discovering the truth about Mrs. Eddy's statement that matter is unreal. In other words, it doesn't have life, truth, intelligence, or substance in it. That the divine mind is what governs everything. So it was kind of a difficult article to read because it had, you know, words in it that only mean something to physicists, apparently. <laughs> but that was the gist of it. I'm, I'm not even sure. Um, I, I'm not sure the person that wrote it understood it because he didn't explain it too well. So it, it, it's a deep concept. But as Gary said, in science, we do understand and a, a few times, um, <laughs> a few times we, uh, where's it going? Yeah, um, yeah, this is it. yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing, uh, seeing that article, or I think I saw something about it, and it reminded me of something that my old teacher, he'd had a conversation, I believe, with uh, years and years ago with a physicist that was working at that facility in, I think it's Bern, Switzerland. And they had been doing research kind of along that nature. And they said that particles, when they were being like just videotaped or whatever, these particles would behave a certain way. But then when they were observed by human beings, they would act in a different way. The only difference being one was being observed by a person and one wasn't. And it was leading them to that idea that thought was the only differentiator. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Yeah. So, so again, all these scientists cranking out all these years of <laughs> of work to come upon what we already know as Christian scientists, and we better be darn grateful and do know it. You know, do know it and accept it. Matter is unreal, and this in this article it said, you know, their sense of reality was all different now because they don't really know what's real. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what's real is sort of what you think, in a way. That's what it was saying. Because when it's locally observed, it will act in certain ways. And <laughs> do you ever study so hard and research so much that you're now lost, more lost than you were before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Well, we have the answers, science and health. We have the answers, but it was it was interesting, and it shows it shows progress in that field after so many years of of research. In school, in the, in the laboratory, <clears throat> chemistry, and then the Electrical. First thing we have to do is uh, find out all your tolerances. How much can you believe something? Plus or minus this, plus or minus that. And by the time you're finished, you look at you say you all you could do is say that your answer is this plus or minus so and so and so. So after a while, you start realizing you, you really don't know a whole lot. That, <laughs> you know, and as you dig deeper, it seems like these errors that you possibly could be introducing or so much. So, and Mrs. Lee says it's an enigma if you just keep it's plugging It's an enigma. At it. Yes, it is. 
Start down. Did uh, Einstein say that at the basis of what we call matter is just energy? Yes, I know. And a lot of people say that it's an energy force. So so it's good to know. This is why why we have dominion over all things. Our dominion. And it's not it's not new age. It's not just well, you think good or think bad. This is the power and might of God. I am that I am. Yeah, what Tony was saying. A beautiful statement. And I think it's Martha Wilcox talks about working with that every day. And we, we have wonderful two articles at least, one by Victor Young and one by her on I am that I am and the proper use of that word. So, so anyway. Why um, Mrs. Eddy talked and quote uh, Shakespeare with nothing, you see, either good or bad, nothing can mix it so. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and she starts the book. Yeah, and that's why we that's must powerful. think correctly. Yeah. I just said that's powerful. Sorry, yeah. it's a delay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, in an article that Carrie sent me, and this goes with the um, responsive reading about um, being absent from the body and present with the Lord, the article is by an E.A. Everett. From an 1894 issue of the journal. Verily, if we shut ourselves up in our bodies, we are strangers from God. How they bind and fetter us. We are not the Lord's freemen when we consent to be so enslaved, and yet it, 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 it is our own fault. Our bodies are, un, are like unruly children whose parents have always obeyed them until they expect and attempt to govern everybody. We have consulted them on every point. If we wish to do certain things, we have turned around to our bodies and asked, will it make you sick? Shall you pay me for this with a headache? If the wind happened to blow on us, we have inquired, are you cold? Or declared this will give me neuralgia of the head? Virtually, we have said to our material structure, come thou and rule over us. And decided for ourselves that it had been done. And all this time, we have been in a bondage to a phantom. For these poor earthly bodies have no life in themselves and cannot declare themselves rulers over anything. How changed is our condition when we awake to this fact, when we learn that we can control our bodies instead of having them control us. We begin to try our wings, as it were, and instead of being dragged down to earth, we fly aloft into a pure atmosphere. We begin to leave our bodies behind and reach out into the realm of spirit. And then at last, catch a faint gleam of what it means to be present with the Lord. Willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Ah, yes, more than willing, eager and glad of this most happy exchange. So that's a good description, and that goes along with everything we've been talking about. Um, not letting matter rule us. <laughs> of course not. The dominion is within, as Kratzer says. Did anyone want to say anything else? No. All right, well. Yes, I, I, I did find something I was going to say. This reminds me of the leavening that we read about in the Bible, the leavening. A spirit of truth. So when I hear these stories of doctors or physicists, I just always bring it back to 
truth has been revealed and it's at work. It gives me a lot of comfort to know that God is working, you know, all the time. And this, it's, it's amazing how it, it shows up. Thank you. That's so true. Yeah, absolutely. And it is comforting. It, 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 he's working on every camp, everywhere, all places, all peoples, and they're all going to come to the same conclusions because the truth is the truth with a capital T. And Thank Mrs. You. Eddie says uh, somewhere that human invention must have its day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Until we all get to the point where we uh, where we understand the divine law. But human invention, I mean, humanly, you know, discovery, that sort of thing is making progress. Right. Mm -hmm. And slowly and slowly, it's discovering <laughs> that, that matter is not what it seems to be, what it appears to be. And, and that's why we see pictures, you know, Mrs. Eddie was always going to fairs and things. And, and she, loved, she loved to hear all the news and what was being invented. And she was interested, outgoing. That's how she stayed so young. She didn't just coop up in her house. She was interested in everything. Everything was interesting to her. She didn't fall asleep during things. <laughs> she didn't fall asleep during lectures. Or <laughs> I'm just bringing out a point here. Uh, the idea is life is interesting, and we must be interested in it. Otherwise, we're going to dry up into old prunes. Life is so interesting. Mm. Yeah, on page 345 of Miss Laney. She, there's an interview with her, and the interviewer says, the, but the pursuit of modern material inventions, and she says, oh, we cannot oppose them. They all tend to newer, finer, more etherealized ways of living. Mm -hmm. They seek the finer essences. They light the way to the Church of Christ. That is wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And you think how here we're talking to you, and you're all around the country and the world, right? Here we sit. Mm -hmm. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. You sound like you're right next door. Without Morris Code. Without Morris <laughs> Yes. So, okay. Um, let's hear from you, Jeremy, what you submitted to me this week. Oh, okay. Well, when I was first reading the lesson this week in John 6, where it talks about Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, Galilee I misread went as was sent. And then, I, so I started thinking of that because, you know, we have that article sent by Parthens, which is so good. And so I started thinking, you know, if we could replace went what with was sent by God in an instance, how, if that is true, then, you know, it, it'll be clear that it was true. So if we went to go see our family, if we were sent to see our family, then it would show up as, you know, we were there to bless and comfort and heal and not there by human will or loyalty or mere personal attachment. So just how important it is to make sure that our motive is always right and we're going where we're supposed to be. Yes, it's wonderful. And you got one of the main points of Jesus' example. He never went anywhere unless he was sent right. by God. And that's why you picked up on it. 
Can you uh, the Bible tells us in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our path. So yes. in, yes. in everything we do. Yeah. This is why we pray before, during, and after. And you quoted Mrs. Eddy, to begin rightly is to end rightly. So when your motives are pure and you're, you are following the daily duty, um, no, no human loyalty or mere personal attachment, rule for motives and acts, then what, where you go and what you do will be such a great blessing. And it is how our lives should be with everywhere we go and everything we do. It's, it's all down to whether God would have us do it or not, always. Mm-hmm. Not, then wild horses shouldn't make you go, even though it seems like the most dreamy thing to do. <laughs> it, it will be. <laughs> right. <laughs> the most dreamy thing. It'll be most, you'll be in the Adam dream world. And this is a, another, something that Carrie sent along this line, a 1902 journal. When a man feels that he is sent of God, he is fearless. He never thinks about merely personal consequences. He does not say, I cannot go before Pharaoh or Caesar because he is a very great man and I am a very little one. He says to the Lord, if thou wilt go with me, I will go. That is the, that is the true fearlessness, not audacity, not impudent, impudence or insolence, not self exaggeration, but a Moses-like and a Jeremiah-like dependence on the word of the living God. Said the Lord to Moses, certainly I will be with you. Says the Lord to every prophet, I will make thy face as brass, thy voice shall be a living thunder, and thy look a destroying lightning. Go. It is not the man who goes, It is the incarnate God. I am not inventing a gospel. I am delivering one. And I must deliver it precisely as I heard it. And as as I hear it every morning in the sanctuary of my own soul. And that's a Dr. Joseph Parker. But that is beautiful. And so wherever you're going, it doesn't matter. Just go into the grocery store. You have to feel sent. God wants you to go at that time to bless who you know might be there. I don't know what the calling is, but everything you do, you should feel that empowerment of God that God is sending you. And it will be a blessing for you and for everyone you meet, everyone involved. All right, now, Shardell. Oh, oh well, I, this, is a, this is a wonderful lesson. Uh, they all are. Every week by, by Friday, I think, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it gets deeper and deeper. But what, what I chose, because it, I have thought about this even many years ago, This, especially this uh, Act 17. And part of it, we live and move in, in, and we're, as our being because we are of one nation. We are of what and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. To me, I, I knew, I knew God loved all of us, and it gave me great joy and peace. And I looked up in, in Webster's 1828, he says, nation, to be born. And I thought, yeah. We are born of God, 
and then how in our our common ancestry, and I've been practicing this word, and Jeremy helped me, <laughs> consanguinity. We are a common ancestry, and it's from God. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I know. You said it, one blood of all nations is a beautiful concept that brings me great joy and peace. It does. Again, biblical truth. It's just biblical truth. So what's all this fussing around amongst us? I mean that, yeah. And we watch something so beautiful. There's um, Channel 13 has something called the American Experience. And one week we watched our little movie group, something called Becoming Frederick Douglass. And it was so good. Uh, Florence watched it too. She watches with us in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was powerful, the message it gave. Very powerful. And that's about, yes, one race, one blood. And um, it's only an hour. And now I'm reading this huge biography on him. But to, to just watch that. Uh, and whoever whoever has the voice of him. And I understand, oh, I yeah, he, he, had a, he had a kind of a booming baritone voice. But, you know, he was greatly, greatly responsible um, for the Civil War and what it resulted in, because dear Abraham Lincoln, he was having a hard time. You know, he wanted to preserve the Union, and it was, it was Frederick Douglass who said, "You've got to make this the matter of freeing slavery." And once he did, it became very yes, bloody, but it was it was fought on the right basis, and the whole thing took a new force, and rightfully so. Um, so anyway, it brings out a lot of beautiful points and just, oh my gosh, it doesn't what is right by God. That's all. Yes. He was motivated by God. He was a godly man and he did not have trouble speaking out and thank God he'd learned to read and write. And anyway, it's, it's beautifully done. And really these are the kinds of things our children should watch in school. Mm-hmm. And then the other one we watched more recently, it was called The Codebreakers. And this was more about um, about women's rights, but it was about a woman, Elizabeth Smith Friedman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you have to watch it. It's just amazing. She She figured out how to break these codes that were supposedly unbreakable. And, and as a result... She uh, helped the Allies win World War One, and then when World War Two broke out, uh, she was still the only one around that people that anybody knew who had the gift of being able to break codes. And so she had this huge career during World War Two, where she single-handedly, literally, enabled. Uh, the Allied forces to win many important battles and eventually win the war. And she never was given the credit. Yeah, went on song till she, 2008. She, she taught do- dozens of men and women how to do this. She led a team of people to do this, but she always had to work for a man. 
because that's the way the the military. the military was organized, mm-hmm. and it was obviously frustrating for her. But she survived, and she spent her last um, the the end of her life. She moved to Plainfield, New Jersey. <laughs> yes, and so did so did so, who else? That the the hidden figures person, yeah. Craig. Craig, go ahead, Craig. I, I can't remember her name. Well, that's exactly, all right. But mm-hmm. yeah. One of the was it six or so? Yeah, the, the mathematicians, math- they call them mm-hmm. programmers, and mm-hmm. themselves. At, These were Afro American yeah. mm-hmm. women, right? Yes, because they yeah. you know, knew how who, who were instrumental in in landing uh, astronaut on the moon. Instrumental. Yes. If you haven't watched that movie, Hidden Figures, everybody should. Everybody should watch it. Everybody watch yeah. it. And they were humble enough when computers come along. To say, and people were giving their analytical jobs and all to other people and saying, to, to just say, okay, we're going to figure out how to use this thing. When nobody else wanted to learn how to use a computer to maybe do these repetitive and very complicated tasks, they learned it. And so when the problems got harder, they were the ones to go in there and uh, put it get the answers, put the programs in place that would give the answers for uh, complicated trips. Yeah. That, main, that main lady, she would still do the math on long paper. hand and yeah. she would oh. do it to, a, to a more decimal places. I know, it's just amazing, but this is, again, we go back to the intelligence of the divine mind and all these mm-hmm. cases, they were reflections of the divine mind. As was that code breaker. And yes, she never got any credit. Someone else took all the credit. I won't say who, because it makes me no. mad to think about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be mad. Anyway, some, some, somebody took all the credit, uh, and she had to silently sit back and, um, and never say a word and, and uh, never got any credit. But I know the gates of heaven were open to her, and she was welcomed but you see this is people living their divine purpose out where they have divine purpose and in those cases in all these cases god put these people there to fulfill a divine purpose all of these cases frederick Douglass, um the hidden figures all of them and and this is where we must find our our place to do great work and it will give us great peace and longevity and happiness and joy and every good thing. We put Lincoln there because he listened. Yes. Yes, he listened. He was a godly man. He knew in his heart what he, he needed to do. But sometimes politically, it's unfortunately but, difficult. And although they may, they may not have gotten their full material reward while they were here on Earth, the truth All eventually came out. Yes, and they and the, and they are rewarded now. I have a higher credit with God. Exactly. I've heard stories about slaves adored Lincoln like he was the coming yes. of Messiah for them, and that uh, you know they they were just so in, so it gave them so much inspiration to know that he was in place and that. He was going to Hope. change the situation. Yes, mm-hmm. and he and he did. Right, right. It was under. And Frederick Douglass was instrumental mm-hmm. in getting him to that place. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he needed that. He needed that help exactly. That's right. Because so all things work together for good for them. 
that love God. Love God. And God's plan and purpose was working itself out, sometimes not easily, but it was. And thank God. And so we must always know that. And as, as Tony said, to be grateful. And, and it's a great comfort to know that it is working, even sometimes when it seems like it's not. It is. It is. So um, we're going to have a little glimpse into Wednesday, Wednesday's readings. <laughs> Gary's doing his readings on sort of on, on ending life. So he's going to read to us from... From unity of good. Yes. Our master said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then God and heaven or life are present. And death is not the real stepping stone to life and happiness. They are now and here. And a change in human consciousness from sin to holiness would reveal this wonder of being. Because God is ever present, no boundary of time can separate us from him and the heaven of his presence. And because God is life, all life is, etern is eternal. This generation seems too material for any strong demonstration over death, and hence cannot bring out the infinite reality of life, namely, that there is no death but only life. The present mortal sense of being is too finite for anchorage in infinite good, God, because mortals now believe in the possibility that life can be evil. The achievement of this ultimatum of science, complete triumph over death, requires time and immense spiritual growth. Because of these profound reasons, I urge Christians to have more faith in living than in dying. I exhort them to accept Christ's promise and unite the influence of their own thoughts with the power of his teachings in the science of being. This will interpret the divine power to human capacity and enable us to apprehend or lay hold upon that for which, as Paul says in the third chapter of Philippians, we are also apprehended of or grasped by Christ Jesus, the ever-present life which knows no death, the omnipresent spirit which knows no matter. Mary Baker Eddy. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.